Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornshai. Well, brother, it's good to be back another week. I really enjoyed our last episode with uh, Tom Buck on expository preaching and the workshops. It was a good episode. Yeah, I got um, a lot of good feedback from others as well. It's it's not something that is explained very often, but expository preaching, indeed, it is very important. And I think for the pastor who's serious about feeding the, the flock, it, it's really the best approach to helping them grow in their understanding of scripture. So I really appreciate Tom being on the uh, on the podcast and, and helping to just dive into that a little bit more deeply. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that was a good topic. Today, we have a necessary topic, I think. Yeah. Um, every so often, um, we discover uh, different hermeneutics that g- gain traction um, in the world around us in social media. And a recent one is the feminist hermeneutic. And occasionally within that, uh, way of viewing scripture, we have this, um, well, you know, uh, this idea that when we're talking about David and Bathsheba, that uh, David raped Bathsheba and changes the entire narrative of the story, the entire point of, uh, yeah. of the biblical illustration. And so, yeah, let's just drill down into that, um, talk about that a little bit, and uh, maybe we can expose some um, faulty thinking. And, uh, I think some of it is perhaps genuine. I think a lot of it, to be honest, is totally disingenuous. Um, it's a plain reading of scripture in, in most places makes it difficult to come to some of these conclusions. Yeah. And, and this is, so, so what, why are we going into this? Because there, um, are a number of people, um, that want to interpret scripture in a certain way based upon current cultural dynamics. And what do I mean by that? So there was the Me Too movement, and we're uh, just about everyone is familiar with the Me Too movement, um, where, you know, a sexual predator is exposed, and then a a number of women come forth and reveal that they too were um, oppressed or um, taken advantage of by this certain individual. And let me just say this, um, that, that is a real issue in the world. There are there are real sexual predators. There are men who abuse their power and take advantage of women. And in those cases, I'm all for standing on the side of law and bringing them to justice and, and prosecuting them to the fullest extent that the that the law will allow. Um, but there, there's an overcorrection that, that comes with this where people will start to say, believe all women. So if there's an allegation from a woman towards a man, you must automatically believe the woman. Um, And that's been the cultural norm, I think, the last um, several years. And there is a problem with that biblically. I mean, first of all, biblically speaking, we know that all people are sinners. And uh, and, and so women are just as capable of sin as men are. And I do believe there are cases where these kinds of allegations are brought forward. And there is really no meat to it. It's it's a false allegation just meant to smear the reputation and, and character of an individual unjustly and unfairly. And, and where is this taking us? So, I mean, when we talk about David and Bathsheba, uh, most, of, mm-hmm. er, most of everyone who's read the Bible, they understand the story. Um, David uh, slept with Bathsheba, and Bathsheba was already married to Uriah. Um, and uh, then when Uriah came back, David had Uriah sent to the front lines to, to die in battle. So now David is both guilty of adultery and murder. 
uh, of Uriah before he's confronted by the prophet Nathan on it. So why is it important um, to address those who believe that David raped Bathsheba? Well, one is a hermeneutics issue. Mm-hmm. Um, does the Bible ever say that David raped her? But second, there's an implication that comes out of this, because what we've seen from a lot of people that, once again, they call themselves Christians, um, but people who have been through um, sexual abuse themselves have posted things to the effect of, I can never read the Psalms because I refuse to read the words from someone who raped mm. another woman. Mm. So, so basically, they're reading the cultural dynamics mm. into the scriptures and, and now in the process, they're saying that certain scriptures are not worth reading because they're written by a person whom they mm. perceive to be guilty of kind of the, the you know, what they see as a spiritual abuse. And, and again, a, lo- a lot of this is kind of the cultural indoctrination where we have the oppressor and the oppressed, and you want to view um, the uh, oppressor as being guilty of all these things. And so that, that's what we're addressing here, because what it comes down to is how do we interpret the scriptures? And also, do we understand that all of the scriptures are profitable? Um, Do we Mm -hmm. believe what God says about David, or do we read between the lines to interpret what is actually not being said in order to to paint him in a a certain light? And so a lot of this, um, it it affects the authority, the inerrancy, as well as the sufficiency of scripture. I would say it, it affects all three. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you already hit on really several problems. Um, I, I mean, I think it, it, you're right. Um, it, you know, anytime, I mean, this ought to be true for all of doctrine. Um, anytime you can come to a new conclusion that has generally never been known or accepted in all throughout church history um, and believe you're right, that should be a big red flag, uh, right? Now, on top of that, if you um, are not regularly in the study of the word, um, you're someone who, you know, like most people have a more limited capacity, you're not a professional theologian, you're, um, you know, you're, you work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, you're in the word as much as you can be. Um, when people like that then also take positions that are against guys who have spent their lifetime for centuries, um, come up with some new interpretation, big red flag. Um, and so we have those things, but then we have other things that you mentioned earlier. Maybe we'll just hit kind of all of these issues and we'll get to the text. Um, but you know, one thing is just like you've said, this new interpretation is being born out of our current cultural context, right? It isn't asking the question, uh, what does the text say? What does the text mean? Um, it's how do I now view the text through the lens of 21st century Western Christianity, uh, specifically American Christianity? Um, there's no real such thing, but, uh, you know, we understand. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, you made a, a good point there. It, just in this past year, there have been uh, multiple articles I've read of women who lied about being abuse victims. Um, it, that ought to be taken very seriously. Um, and the punishment ought to be legally quite severe. Um, you can destroy a whole person's life. Now we think, okay, well, you know what, if we do things biblically, we actually have a guard against that. It doesn't matter what the accusation is. Um, you know, the church doesn't receive an accusation against an elder, uh, unless there are two or more witnesses. Right now we function inside the law in, in addition to that, um, so if there's an accusation of sexual abuse, we have to report those things, but then we just don't assume 
um, absolute guilt on, on a party. We report yeah. it to the law and then um, we don't ignore it. We do due diligence to work through those issues. Uh, but at the end of the day, if anytime there's an accusation of wrong done, if we just assume the person is guilty, we've actually abandoned the scriptural mandate in how to deal with those things yeah. within the church. Our culture doesn't like that um, because, you know, feminism has basically said, whatever a woman says or accuses a man of must be true yeah. point blank. Um, and then we have guys who spend time in jail and, you know, two years later it comes out that they lied and th there's no remuneration for the man, um, the impact on his life. The no. it's just, Oh, well, this was just one bad actor. Sorry. No. Um, well, we can't function that way as Christians, Right. Uh, we've got to function biblically. We've got to deal with things biblically, um, and we've got to set our emotions aside for what's right and what's just. So we have those those issues. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Uh, should there be um, uh, other people involved rather than just listening to one accuser? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, so beyond those things, though, then when we get to the text, right? I mean, it, our goal. Our aim as faithful students of God's word should be um, never to make the text prove our point of view. Uh, it should never be to make the text uh, fit yeah. our narrative, right? right. Um, if we're faithful students of God's word, when we approach the text, we really should be asking two questions. What does the text say? And what did the author mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and this is um, Tom Buck said the same thing last week when he talked about frameworks, you know, we, mm. we can start with a certain theology or a certain framework, and then we can end up reading it into the text. And, and that's what we want to be careful not to do. We want to let the text uh, speak for itself, but we also want to focus on what exactly the text says. And, and a lot of times what happens, and especially in this case, when people talk about you know, they assert with full confidence that David did indeed uh, rape Bathsheba, which I would disagree with. But when they fully assert that, what they're doing is that they're reading between the lines. They're, they're, they're doing what I call exegeting the white spaces. Um, they're mm -hmm. interpreting the white spaces rather than interpreting the actual letters that are provided there. And we as um, Bible study students, uh, people who are scholars of the Bible and students of the Bible, disciples of Christ, there is a lot that's already written um, that you can spend, you can and, and will spend your entire life just trying to understand what is written. You don't need to waste your time interpreting what is not written, right? Yeah. And uh, and so that's that's part of the danger. One of the dangers of of wrong hermeneutics. That that uh, and by the way, when we say hermeneutics, hermeneutics, we're talking about the principles of Bible interpretation. And and one of the principles of good Bible interpretation is that you focus on what it says, not on what it doesn't say. Yeah. And so that's what we want to stress with people. And this is a prime example of people focusing on what it does not say. And not only that, but they're making it say something that in all likelihood is probably false when we look at what the rest of the scriptures say. Yeah. Right? Well, I, exegeting the white spaces is the devil's playground. It, it, it just is. <clears throat> yeah. you, you've got to insert your own imagination into scripture. And, I mean, just consider that statement. It, consider... Yeah. Just think about inserting your own imagination into the text of a God-inspired document. That ought to be uh, frightening. Uh, it ought to be um, 
yeah, that ought to cause a lot of fear when when we just think about the implications of that. But, you know, I, I want to read a little bit of uh, from Second Samuel um, and we just kind of talk through uh, the actual passage. And, and you're right, because no one has ever understood um, David to have raped Bathsheba. Um, no one defends David as being guiltless. I've never heard anyone uh, defend David in that manner. Um, scripture makes it clear that he was in sin, but, uh, let me go to this. So maybe let me start with, um, just flipping through here, second Samuel. So we're in chapter 11. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, so it will just start on, uh, verse two, right? So it says now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the King's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. Verse five, the woman conceived. And when she sent and oh, sorry, the woman conceived and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Then David said to Joab, saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. Now, that's very interesting. Uh, I, so far, I don't know how you could get David rape Bathsheba from any of that, right? Yeah, the, the, the scriptures, they don't say that. Um, they, they mention how David saw Bathsheba and, and how he approached her. Um, and then they read all kinds of what I would say power dynamics. So we they, they basically try to read in, okay, well, who had more power? And obviously David being the king, he had more power. So he must have asserted it unfairly on Bathsheba. Well, it could also be the case that Bathsheba just willingly consented, you know, right. without uh, putting up any kind of fight. And even the Old Testament law says that um, if a woman is raped, she actually has under the Old Testament law, like it or not, she has responsibility to cry out for help. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the signs that um, she is being um, unfairly taken advantage of. And we see no signs of that from uh, from Bathsheba at all. So as we look at the text, yeah, I mean, it's it's very clear when we look at the text that there's nothing in there that uh, suggests what uh, people with kind of a modern view of, of culture would uh, want to read into that. Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to play the um, motives game, because that's really what's happening and people yeah. are inserting motives uh, to, towards David. Um, again, that ought to be a frightening thing to do uh, because the text doesn't, you know, we understand the, the text either teaches things that are explicit or implicit, um, but there's nothing implicit even here uh, that you could come to the conclusion that she was raped. Now, this is very interesting. Um, you can read this and things like, well, um, I mean, so she actually sent back to David uh, informing her, informing him, right, that she had conceived. Um, well, I don't know. Is that is that would that be something normal for someone who was afraid of the king who had been, you know, um, basically kidnapped and raped? I don't know. Uh, but it seems strange uh, and it doesn't seem to really fit the narrative. So if we're if we're going to ask questions and we should be asking, um, you know, questions from both sides. I mean, she clearly was a participant. You can't, right? And and I don't mean a victim. I mean a participant. Um, now, uh, he was a king. Uh, well, here's the reality. Um, there were lots of women in those days who would love to have slept with the king because you get the king's support. You get the king's... I'm not saying that that was her case, um, but I'm saying it was common, right? Um, 
But we can't read those things into the text either because they're right. not there, right? We just have to say, what does the text, what's the point of the text? What did the author, uh, what was his intentions in giving us the text? What does it say? Um, and we just can't come to any of the conclusions that the modern day feminist hermeneutic uh, or the, you know, Me Too movement um, kind of inserts into that. Uh, by the way, this is the very kind of thing um, that CRT, critical race theory, produces uh, these power dynamics, these struggles. So if you've ever heard us talk about that and you're like, well, I don't know if that's really yeah. a thing. Well, yeah. here's a good example. Um this is why they immediately go to power. Well, David had the power, and right. so therefore it was rape. Well, here's the reality. Um, whether she did or didn't, it's not in the text, but Bathsheba would have had a responsibility before God to say no, um, yeah. to fight him off even, to resist, right? right? Um, and if, if she didn't do that, uh, then she's equally as guilty. And there's no indication that that she wasn't a willing participant. Right. Um, and so, you know, when I read this, in all likelihood, she was guilty of um, extramarital affair. Yeah, she she um, she appeared uh, in the text. She appeared to be complicit and, and uh, guilty in that uh, complicity. And, and I know that there um, are some people that get really tired of us bringing up the words uh, critical theory, and, and this is what uh, really it ties back to. Um, but, but this is just a reminder that a lot of these attacks, and basically this is true in every age. Every age you go through, there's always attacks on the Bible. And the attacks on the Bible are essentially a result of the thinking of the age. And yeah. so when we bring up uh, critical theory or kind of Marxist thinking, it's the thinking of the age. And we're just providing more examples of what this is about. Because as you mentioned, it's reading motives. It's, um, it's saying that because David had the power, he must have abused it. Well, there's also the possibility that she just willingly complied regardless of whether he had power or not. And, and that's an element that gets ignored because her being the woman and her not having the power, we have to believe her. Well, that's not, that's not the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview says that everyone is a sinner. Um, everyone yeah. is complicit in sin. Everyone is unrighteous before God. No one seeks after him. So we, we have a situation here where you have David in his sin and you have Bathsheba complying with sin and they come together and uh, David is the one that's rebuked. That's the mm -hmm. that's one of the arguments that people will make that there's nothing in the text about Bathsheba being rebuked. Well, the narrative of first Kings or uh, first uh, first and second Samuel, uh, second Samuel in this case, um, doesn't focus on that Bathsheba. Bathsheba right. is, is really just kind of a secondary character. Um, the focus is really upon the king of, of Israel, and that's yeah. David. And yep. so that's that's a very easy explanation for why Nathan um, goes to confront uh, David rather than speak to Bathsheba. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of these um, extra storylines that are brought in. But we also want to talk about what is the impact of this? So here, here's part of the impact of all this. When, when we say that David raped Bathsheba. We're not only reading into the text what's not there, as we talked about and have kind of walked through this, but what is the impact upon, okay, now that if we've concluded that David has raped Bathsheba, what does that mean now for how we approach David as a biblical mm -hmm. character? What yeah. does that mean now for anything that David has ever written? And by the way, the Psalms, okay, the Psalms are, are 150 Psalms. Um, that's like probably the largest section of scripture that we have of any book. The, the Psalms are 150, and at least half of them were written by David, yeah, um, yeah. possibly more. 
And, and not only that, but those Psalms are also quoted often in the New Testament. In fact, Jesus Christ himself quoted those Psalms. And so if we want to discredit the Psalms because of what David was, what impact does that have upon the rest of the scriptures, which are um, which often go back to the Psalms to quote them, especially the prophecies of David, which point forward to Jesus Christ. Now you've got a problem. And then not only that, but if you have a certain view of David, have you thought about how your view of David conflicts with God's view of David, mm. right? Yeah. Because when uh, if you step through the book of First Kings, so we know First and Second Samuel is about David. First Samuel is that period of time that overlaps uh, between David and Saul. Um, it starts with Samuel first, but then it goes David and Saul. And then second Samuel is really about David's reign, his uncontested reign from that point forward. And uh, so we, we have those books. And then after that comes first and second Kings in the chronology. That's where we get into Solomon. And then we get into the divided kingdom and we have the Northern and the Southern kingdom. Each of them have Kings, but they pretty much spiral downwards from that point forward. Well, when you read through first and second Kings, every single King that is brought up in the land of Judah is compared to David. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the scriptures say that David was a man after God's own yep. heart. In fact, I have in front of me 1 Kings chapter 15. 1 Kings chapter mm. 15, verse 14. Let's see here. Um, this is actually uh, King Jeroboam, starting in verse 1, chapter 15. Now in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. Verse 3, he walked in the sins of his father. Um, verse four, but for David's sake, the Lord gave him a lamp for Jerusalem to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Why? Verse five says, because David did what was right mm -hmm. in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that was commanded all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. And that obviously would include the sin with Bathsheba as well. Mm -hmm. And there were other times that, that David did not do right as well. But when we look at these yeah. scriptures, God's word is very clear. David is lifted up as, as really the, the, the best kind of king until you get to Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Every single king in Judah is either compared um, to be like David or to yeah. fall short of being like David, meaning that they were an evil king. Yeah. And so here's the reality. Whether you believe David raped Bathsheba or not, he was still a man after God's own heart. And so you've got to reconcile with that. Um, and so it doesn't change how we are to view David at all. In, in fact, I would argue it, 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 it may create a, create a stumbling block from yourself, but that's the reality. Are you going to say that, um, you know, God justifies those things? Uh, I mean, you, the implications of the in, inserting um, or asserting that David raped Bathsheba. Well, we've seen some of them, right? You get people who say, "Well, I just can't read anything that David wrote." Well, let's yeah. just talk about let's just talk about the logical conclusion of that. Um, and, and I remember seeing that uh, that that tweet from that person, and I just thought, "Wow, it, you realize you just you, you've just judged the holy God of the universe yeah. as putting something detrimental in His Word." I, I mean, yeah. that's, right. that's what right. you've done. Uh, not intentionally, I'm sure. Um, but we got to be thoughtful uh, when we consider the implications of these things, because really you're not judging David, you're judging God. Right. Um, right. You know, the, the Bible is inspired. Now it's interesting because a lot of these people 
who would espouse this narrative uh, of David raping Bathsheba, they actually don't believe in the sufficiency, the inerrancy, uh, the inspiration right. of scripture, right? Um, yeah. It's the same people who, well, you know, um, have pronouns in their bios, have feminists in their bios uh, on the social media. It's the same people who, when pressed, will say, well, I don't follow Paul. I, I follow Jesus, right? right. And, and so they're just basically ripping portions out of scripture um, as they see fit. And those things kind of go hand in hand. Um yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We, we see a lot of the same characteristics. We, we've said before that a broken theology is rarely broken in one place. And, and yeah. usually if it's broken in one place, it's broken willingly. I'm not talking about just regular disputes like, you know, post-millennialism versus pre-millennialism or amillennialism. I'm talking about those who, who actively question uh, the, the word of God, even though they know what it is, what it says. And then we see a lot of these um, kind of quote unquote progressive positions. They're pretty much all tied together. Um, on face value, you might look at them and they might not seem to be connected, but we often find that, that they are indeed connected. And you're right. A lot of the um, people that come forth and make these kinds of statements, um, it, it is damaging um, to, to the witness of Christ. It, it's damaging to the um, to the apparent uh, reliability of scripture, but not if you realize that they are the, uh, they are the individuals that never really believe scripture to begin with. And you see that kind of um, in other areas. Now, wh wh why does this matter? Well, th this matters because we have to uphold the first, the authority of scripture. So the authority of scripture means that it is authoritative in everything that it says and, and addresses. Mm -hmm. And so if you were to say that certain parts of the scriptures don't matter because they're written by David or because it quotes David, well, now you're taking away from its authority because we have in, for instance, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, we have the confessions of David. And by mm -hmm. the way, even if, and, and I'm not saying this is right. In fact, we're, we both would disagree with this, but even if you were to believe that David raped Bathsheba, guess what? The scriptures say that David was forgiven. And if David was forgiven, that is meant to teach us of just the great forgiving power that God has, and that we have to accept the ones that God says are forgiven. And that applies to us as well, because if David was not forgiven, well, then a lot of us are going to be in trouble because while we may not have committed those exact same sins, um, in one sense, all sins are the same because it separates us from God. Uh, James says, if you're guilty of one at one point, then you have uh, essentially you're guilty of the, the entire law. Hmm. Um, so so we, we want to uphold this for the authority's sake, but we also want to uphold this for sufficiency's sake. Because once again, if you take away certain scriptures and, uh, and, and you start to portray David in a certain way, what you're suggesting in order to get over these, um, the, these trials, the, these, um, you know, these, the, the abuse that you may have gone through in the past, you're going to need something other than scripture. You're going to need to import really modern day cultural ways of philosophy, psychology, cultural thinking, whatever it may be, you're going to need that in order to help you recover rather than relying upon the scriptures, especially those scriptures, which are abhorrent to you because they're written by a certain human agent. And then third, we need to affirm the inerrancy. You know, if all of scripture is perfect, and that includes the parts that you don't like, and by taking those parts out, and uh, <clears throat> maligning them by, by talking about David as a rapist, and, and then going against texts like what I just read, where God had written in First Kings that, that, that David uh, was a man after God's own heart, and that he did not turn aside uh, except for um, some, some major incidences in his life, uh, that he ended up being the standard for all good kings. 
Well, now you're questioning the inerrancy. And yeah. so all three pillars now fall apart, the authority, the sufficiency, and the inerrancy. So what starts off as a small thing in terms of interpreting an event as being something other than what it's being said really turns out into an, an assault on all of scripture. And this is the modus operandi of Satan. That's exactly how he functions from the very beginning. He asked Eve, did God really yeah. say? And when Eve confirmed it, then what did you say next? Mm-hmm. He basically called God a liar. You will surely not die. Yeah. He basically yeah. called God a liar. And that's that's really what a lot of these attacks happen from the inside. So that, that, that's the reason why we have to uphold the truth and not read into it more than what it actually says. Yeah, and that's an interesting example because even Eve added to what God said. Yes, she it, did. You, you know, we often don't take notice of that, uh, but it's there uh, for a reason, right? I mean, God never said you can't touch the tree. Uh, he just said you right. can't eat of it. Um, so, and not to make too much of that, but the point is we, we need to be accurate um, with what God has given us and what he said in his word. Uh, so absolutely. And, you know, again, if you, you know, it's one of those things where eventually um, it, you just don't have the Bible. I mean, sometimes I, I want to say to these people, you know what, just write your own Bible and start your own religion um, and, and leave Christianity alone. Um, because by the time you rip out David, you rip out Paul, well, you don't, you no longer have Christianity. Um, let me back up by the time you rip out either one of them, uh, you no longer have Christianity and it's an attack. Uh, I I mean, it's really in defiance of God himself. I mean, I think we, we, you know, we talk about the the inerrancy, the sufficiency, the authority of scripture, but I I think we need to sometimes take a step back and, and realize that, it was God himself through the working of the Holy Spirit in men whom he chose who gave us this book. So effectively, God hands us a book, the sovereign God of the universe, and says, here is, you know, an earthly instruction manual um, for life and practice. And we basically look at God and say, well, I'm going to rip this out because you shouldn't have included that. I mean, that ought to be a frightening, terrifying thought. Um, it, it, you know, effectively, we shake our hands at God and we say, why have you made me this way? Why have you given us this? And we judge it to be wrong. And that's really what's happening. And that's more severe than anything else that's happening in those. Um, when right. we attack the scriptures, uh, meaning meaningful or not, it, willingly or not, um, when you attack the scriptures, you're first and foremost attacking God, you know? Now, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I, you know, I would say that we can question the scriptures, right? Yes. I mean, you come across something that doesn't make sense, question it. Um, try, try to find out what the answers are, but you can question it in a way that doesn't malign God's character. Yeah. Right. And questioning is quite a bit different than highlighting with a black magic marker. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't like this, so we're just going to get rid of it. Or I don't like the Apostle Paul. I'm just going to follow Jesus. Well, I mean, God's the one who called the Apostle Paul. I mean, read his testimony for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, you, you get rid of the Apostle Paul and you're attacking God. You get rid right. of David. Um, you're attacking God. I mean, Jesus came from the line of David. Yeah. You look at the New Testament references, um, you know, are you, are you going to condemn now every New Testament writer that refers to David or his writings? You have to, to be yeah, consistent. Fact, yeah, just, just to build off that, let me, let me give you a couple of examples. 
Um, in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 23, especially is when Jesus provides um, seven woes of condemnation yep. against the Jewish leadership. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. He repeats it over and over and over again. But prior to laying down those seven woes, what was the last thing that Matthew records? Well, at the end of Matthew chapter 22, um, this is at the end of a chapter where there's this ongoing back and forth between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. They're challenging him on the greatest commandments. They're challenging on um, paying taxes to Caesar, um, on the resurrection, things like that. And then finally, when they're done with their challenges and, and Jesus answered each challenge perfectly, Jesus asked them this question. This is Matthew chapter 22, verse 42. He says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. Well, that's an easy one. Well, that's setting up for the real question. Verse 43, he said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David calls him Lord, how is he his son? <clears throat> and it says, no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day to ask him another question. And then that goes right into chapter 23, where Jesus lays down all these woes. But I point this out because the very last challenge that Matthew documents here was from a psalm that David wrote. And Jesus says that David wrote it in the spirit. Yeah. Now, he's quoting Psalm 110. Psalm 110 never mentions the spirit, but it is understood that all the psalms, including Psalm 110, were written by the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus says this, how does David in the spirit say this? And guess what? Even the Jewish opponents that he was addressing knew this to be true or else they would have called him on it. So they understood that all of these words were written in the spirit. So when you object to going to a psalm written by David because of what he's done in the past, well, you're actually objecting to what the Holy Spirit has moved him to write. And that is absolutely God's word. Um, so th that's one example right there. But even in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, we know that's the start of the church, the start of the church, specifically in Acts chapter two. And, and what does Peter do when he starts his sermon? He gets to the main part of the sermon. Guess what? He quotes David. After he quotes Joel, he quotes Joel to explain all the, um, all the tongues of fire that's happening around them. But then he gets to verse 25, and he says, For David says of him, I, set, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad, my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then he goes on to say, brethren, I may confidently say to you that regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So he starts by helping argue from David's Psalm that David was not talking about himself. He was talking about the Christ. And so you take away the Psalms written by David, guess what? You take away several important prophecies that point forward to Jesus Christ. So these attacks, while they may on the surface may seem minor, they're actually quite significant when you start to connect the dots. Yeah, it's no um, it's no minimal thing to basically correct Jesus himself. Right. Jesus points yeah. to the Psalms. Uh, the the other apostles point to the Psalms and effectively say, no, uh, you shouldn't have done that is what's happening. Um, and again, that, that ought to be a frightening thing. And I think a lot of this, well, and I bring up these examples because I think we just have very little fear of God anymore. Yeah. Um, if we consider the ramifications of what's happening when we do things like write off David or insert to the text, even all of that aside, 
you go to uh, the book of Revelation and we see the warnings about adding to or changing from the word of God. Now, we understand John is specifically speaking of adding or changing to the book of Revelation, um, but then generally speaking, we would understand that to be applied throughout any of God's word, right? Um, and yeah. it, I mean, they're not, um, they're not lighthearted warnings, right? Um, Revelation twenty two eighteen. 18, if any man shall add until these things, God shall add it to him the plagues that are written in this book. That's uh, pretty severe. That's yeah. a pretty, a, a pretty hard warning. And it's not the only one. Um, and so we ought to approach the text, absolutely asking questions. Um, but the questions ought to be, what does the text say? What does the text mean? Um, I cannot understand something and say, well, this seems to conflict with this, but I know that there are no contradictions in scripture. So right. what am I missing? Exactly. Exactly. Um, those are the kind of questions like you said before, Eki. Um, but when we start getting to just changing or inserting our own thoughts, we ought to start remembering the warnings against adding to the scriptures, because that's what we're doing. Um, and at the end of the day, even if, and, and again, we've made our position clear, even if David did rape Bathsheba, he was still a man after God's own heart. Yes. Yes, he was. Yeah. And that's, um, that that's the hard truth that if you want to take that position, then you actually um, end up having to affirm God's great forgiveness um, in that situation that a man who could actually rape a woman could still be considered a man after God's own heart, um, because that's exactly what the Bible says. Otherwise, you have to deny those sections that actually say that. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely true. And I mean, what David did was I it was no less for sure anyway. I right. mean, look, he. Um, he, he committed, I mean, the first sin is he should have been on the battlefield. Um, that, that was where his position was, and he abdicated that as his role of king. So he's hanging back, doing something he shouldn't have been doing anyway. Um, he takes another man's wife, and then he plots to murder him, um, you know, putting his whole army in yeah. danger, um, all for the purpose of covering up his own sin. Right. And so we're not minimizing uh, at all what David did. Right. Um, but even recognizing all of that, you get to the end and he was still a man after God's own heart. And it's important why um, that's what's attributed to him, because he was genuinely repentant. And so yeah. show me one person um, who is perfect in scripture, save Christ. There is right. none. Paul right. was a murderer. Um, uh, you know, I mean, that was right. his business to go around and drag in Jews. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Christians, right. Yeah. Um, and we see him and, you know, Peter denies Christ three times. Right. Um, the Bible is, and that it's good news that the Bible is full of, um, people who have sinned and need a savior, uh, because it gives us hope. Right. Um, and so it really doesn't matter what, other things happened. Uh, sure, there was a ton of things that happened between David and Bathsheba that we'll never know about. They were human beings. I'm sure they had conversations. I'm sure there were other correspondence. You can't move an entire army without a whole lot of planning and talking. We don't have any of those details. What we know is that um, he sinned. He was yeah. genuinely repentant. <clears throat> we also see God's judgment. This is interesting, by the way. Um, we, we say that God didn't necessarily judge Bathsheba, but you know, as I've been thinking about that, that's actually not true because God took the life of their child and it wasn't just David's child. Right. It was also Bathsheba's child. It was. It was. Right. She also paid the penalty. Yeah. 
um, I, the death of a child. Right. Yeah, and David, David would continue to live with the consequences of his sin yeah. because God told him that the sword uh, would be in his household. And, and, and he yeah. saw that throughout his life. He would be on the run from uh, people who are his own sons. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and so he, he continued to live with that, even though he was forgiven, but all this to, to paint the picture of this, that, that God is a forgiving God, and, and David, despite his sins, is still considered a man after God's own heart, one who walked after God for this reason, because when he did sin, he repented. And it was true repentance. He, he really did, did repent of it, and he turned back towards God. And that's really the, the picture of our Christian walk. We repent of our former manner of life when we put our faith into Jesus Christ. And our walk from that point forth should be an ongoing walk of repentance. When we stumble and when we fall, and we will um, we turn around, we repent, and we do so uh, genuinely, not simply just because we were caught, not um, not simply f- to, to to put on a show, um, but because we recognize that we have offended a holy God. Yeah, and and you know that's another thing um, we ought to be very the, the folks who would um, attempt to insert uh, this idea into the story we have of David and Bathsheba. You ought to consider that at the end of the day, it may even be attack on the very gospel of Jesus Christ, yeah. because that narrative comes from a place that basically um, makes someone a perpetual victim and um, does not demand forgiveness, which is the heart of the gospel. Yeah. Um, we are sinners. We needed a savior. Christ came so that all those who would profess him, believe in him, um, would be saved of their sin, right? Amen. And and yep. so when you insert a narrative that behind that comes from a place of really unforgiveness, you're actually attacking the very heart of the gospel itself. Right. Yeah, that is that is a good point because the, the gospel is about forgiveness. Um, it's about being forgiven and being given um, the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, he went to pay it all once for all. And uh, you brought up the other point, and I think it's, it's worth repeating, that the Bible is filled with imperfect people, right? I mean, you see Judah sleeping with his daughter-in-law, right? Uh, Tamar. Um, you, you see Moses striking the rock uh, two times, uh, screaming out, uh, rather than treating uh, God's name as, as holy. You see David um, in his sins. Uh, you see people like uh, Hezekiah, even though they're given extra life, they didn't give God credit. You know, so you, you see throughout the scripture, Abraham did not um, did not trust God to protect him and had to lie about his wife um, twice to, to two different kings. And then I think Isaac ended up doing the exact same thing. So you go through there and you look at this. So how, how is it that, that all of these imperfect men can be used by God? Well, exactly. Um, God can use anyone for his purposes. And, and this further affirms the sovereignty of God that we are all imperfect vessels and yet God can take a crooked stick and draw a straight mm-hmm. line. He can use imperfect vessels to accomplish his perfect purposes. And, and that's where we go back to Romans 8, 28. He causes all things to come together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Or Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when Joseph told his brothers that what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And, and that is really <clears throat> part of the trust and hope that we put into God, that despite the fact that we are all failures, and that includes myself, that includes Nathaniel, that includes everyone ex- except for Jesus Christ, we, we all fail on a regular basis, and, and yet God is going to still use us for his purposes, um, because he is a sovereign God, he is a good God, and, and he is in total control of all things. Yeah, 
Amen. Well, brother, I don't think there's anything left to be said. Um, I, I hope that you guys listening will consider this and maybe, you know, it'll give you some good points of conversation with folks who have gotten caught up in this view. And uh, we know there are bad actors who they know better and they're just promoting, you know, a, a godless narrative. Um, but, you know, I think our hope is that people would look at these things and it'll help them better understand and appreciate the gospel message. And, you know, gain some fear of God. Um, when we start manipulating and changing God's word, you know, it's by God's grace that he doesn't do everything he's always done in the past. Um, and what I mean is just yeah. consider Ananias and Sapphira. It, all they did was a little, right. quote, white lie. Um, they they mm -hmm. were giving money to the church. This is New Testament, right? They're giving money to the church. And uh, you, you know the story, so I won't recount the whole thing. But just consider in the New Testament, right? God strikes down both Ananias and Sapphira just for lying, um, because lying is never a just a lie to God. Right. And uh, consider God's response there, and then just consider how much that would also be justified when we change and insert and manipulate God's word, especially for doing it purposefully. Um, and so there ought to be a, a healthy fear of God, and it's his grace uh, that he doesn't always do what he's done, right, in the past, and that's what Amen. I mean by that. Um, otherwise, we'd all be struck down, but it ought to give us a healthy fear of God. In fact, that was the very response um, that it had on the church from Ananias and Sapphira was a healthy fear of God was established yeah. there. That's so right. any last words, Eki? Yeah, I mean, just to add to that, I mean, I'm thinking of uh, 2 Peter 3, I want to say verses 15 and 16, where Peter talks about Paul's writings and says that um, the, the ignorant and unstable, they twist and distort his writings to their own destruction as they do the rest of scriptures, hmm. uh, the, the rest of the scriptures. And, and this, is, this is essentially the MO of those who attack the church. Um, they don't do it from the outside. Satan doesn't come in a red outfit and a pitchfork and horns, um, he operates as an angel of light. And so the attacks happen from the inside. And that's why we must stand uh, upon the truth and we must protect how truth is obtained from the scriptures. And even something that may look rather kind of inconsequential, such as David, uh, did David rape Bathsheba or not? Um, it actually can become a huge deal when when we you see the implications that come out of that. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. At the end of the day, David was a man after God's own heart, and that's the view we have to have because God himself said it. Amen. So thank you guys for joining us. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.